is pride. Because God resists the proud. And the word resist there means to get an army against. So if God has got an army against you as a proud person, you're not going to make it. But he gives what? To the humble. Grace, which is the desire and the power to live a godly life. And the problem is that people cannot identify pride. They don't know how to identify it. And they think, well, I don't stand in front of the mirror. In fact, you get my age, you turn all the mirrors to the wall. You, know, you, you, don't, you don't tarry very long. It's amazing. When you get older, I, I wonder who's this old man I'm shaving. You know, <laughs> looking back at me in the mirror here. But that's not it. You know, all teenage fellows do this, you know, and, see how, and suck it in to see how it's doing. Uh, and that's not what we're talking about. That's not pride. I mean, that's pride, but that's not really pride. The real pride. And so I'm really uh, encouraged about what Don's going to be sharing with you, the medically and also this, this new breakthrough he has that has just helped so many of our consulates come to freedom as they got to see this bottom line issue is pride. There is no sin that you don't do that pride's not first. Is there? Can you think of one? You know, I was, you know, the bitterness I had towards my father, he read my book, and I tried to commit suicide at 15. Well, try to commit suicide at 15 is what? Building life around who? Me. Okay, let me give you, uh, they tell me to do some selling stuff, so I better do it so I can keep my job. Um, all of our counselees, anorexics, bulimic, um, homosexuals, cross-dressers, whatever they are, and whatever's going on, anger, you know, violence, uh, we don't have just sort of problems, because everybody I see flies in here from other states or out of the country, so if they're flying into Sioux City, you know the problem's not just I got angry at my wife. Um, it's horrible. And so the people we see are, are, are usually extremely bad. Um, but we found that, that no matter what the problem was, outside all of them have a pride problem, there's another issue, and that's this, and it's a very important issue, that what all of my counselees have in common, and I mentioned this two years ago, they don't know who God is. They, they have a distorted view of God, which fits 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 4, and 5. And secondly, they do not have an intimate relationship with God. And you take someone, um, uh, not that long ago, I just had a cross-dresser here. You take someone who's been cross-dressing since they were three or four for 20 years or longer. If they don't have an intimate relationship with God, even though they got to freedom, they're not going to stay free. You understand the point? They've got to have that intimate relationship with God. So I have my counselees work through both these books while I'm counseling them. The first one is Lord, I Want to Know You by K. Arthur. Because I've read all the books on the names of God that I know of, and this was the best one, the most practical one to get to know God. How can I trust God if I don't know who he is? Secondly, if I don't know who he is, why would I pray much? And so the other book, and this is the best book, I've just uh, counted my books on prayer since the last time, two years ago. I just finished my 350th book on prayer and walking and living a deeper life. And it's been one of the most thrilling pilgrimages I've been on. I've got 10 books to read the next two weeks because I'm going on vacation. I can hardly wait to go on vacation to spend time trying to develop a deeper, intimate walk with God. But a book, and I know some of you are charismatic, and that's fine. I'm a non-charismatic by choice. You're a charismatic by choice, and that's fine. But uh, when you're a non-charismatic, charismatics accept you. 
But when you're a charismatic, the non-charismatics don't accept you, right? I mean, if you're charismatic, you know what I'm talking about. So what we had to do is to get uh, some of the better books on prayer are charismatic. Is that right? Are you charismatic? They are. Because they seem to have a more tenderness towards God than the hard-hearted Baptists. I mean, you may get a hard-hearted book on prayer, <laughs> you know, but if you want a warm-hearted book, see if it was written by charismatic. It's probably got some warm-hearted in there. But anyway, so we needed, the, and this is one of the best all-around books that we have found that would be acceptable to anybody coming into our counseling center, developing your secret closet of prayer by Burr. And I knew this book was great because I'd probably read 100 books on prayer by the time I got this one, and I had, I had never underlined as much in my life as I did the introduction. My introduction is all colored. It's, the introduction and chapter one are phenomenal. Chapters two and three are the average kind of prayer thing. Chapter four is phenomenal. He has you visualize Revelation 4 and 5. Going into the throne room of God. You know the privilege we have to go in there. And then chapter 5 is how to pray scripture. And uh, we have put together, I put together, I don't know how much material on developing a deeper, intimate walk with God that I give my counselees now, coming from these 350 books. Uh, and one of the things we've done is develop how to pray scripture back to God. And if you get my prayer letter, we offered it in October. We're still getting requests. And that's just my own personal prayer letter, not the office letter, just my personal prayer letter. We had over a hundred and so far 170 families write and asking for this material so they could teach their, at their family time, they would pray scriptures back to God. Isn't that awesome? I mean, we had no idea the response. And it wasn't a return letter. They had a write their own letter. I don't put return letter, return envelopes in my stuff. I figure if someone wants to give, they know how to write out an envelope. And then this one is, it may be controversial. It's not controversial for me, uh, but it's on this whole music issue. And it's a book and how to evaluate music for your family. Be careful, little ears. Uh, it's very conservative. I want you to know in the beginning uh, at the end of the book, Kimberly called me. I don't know who she was, but she called me because she heard I was mentioning this all over the United States, and her book sales went up because she and her husband, he's a lawyer, and she is a, a musician. And uh, so be careful, little ears. At the very end of the book, she has you go on a music bath where all the music you have control of, you just don't listen to, and then begin to put music back in, and all of a sudden your spirit will react to music. You know, when you get used to it, you, you can get kind of deadened to music, um, but Anyway, it's, it's one of the better books on music. Uh, I've read a number of them. So these are, I've got that out of the way. And uh, let people coming in, we'll pray. Or did we pray? Did we pray? See, how much did you pay for this course? <laughs> did we include a prayer in that price? I can't remember. <laughs> Father, we, um, we just want to be people helpers. Come alongside those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who have sin patterns in their life, those who are being horribly defeated and can't figure out why, can't understand. Father, we, we pray that uh, this time with Dr. Don and myself uh, may be a benefit to those who want to be in a healing ministry. So we pray that everything that we say may be a help to them uh, to bring this about. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. Uh, we passed out a paper on OCD, obsessive-compulsive behavior. 
Now, I'm going to tell you why that paper is probably one of the most important things that you can hold on to. Uh, I got a call when I was still uh, one of the vice presidents of Child Evangelism Fellowship. I got a call asking, and I was counseling missionaries at that time, or full-time Christian workers. And uh, I got a call saying, would you be willing to counsel the area director, past area director for Campus Crusade? This fellow was over a number of states and all the universities and all of the people working in the university. And I said, I'd be glad to. And there were two guys from two different universities, Campus Crusade guys, that were going to bring Joe to see me, which they did. Now, Joe, uh, uh, I hope he doesn't hear the tape. Joe probably is about five, six, or seven, I think, and probably weighs about 140 pounds. He would be a typical runner, you know, the typical runner physique, the guy that is running. The two guys that, that brought him, you know, campus crusade always gets the, the big football players to, you know, to be their guys on campus. I mean, these were mammoth characters. They came with Joe. I didn't know any of them. And we were in a room there by ourselves, and so we wanted to pray. So I said, let us pray. So we bowed and started praying, and Joe started crying. And he was sobbing, crying. His nose was running, his eyes was running, and he was really crying. But my spirit said, something's not right. I mean, why would you cry when someone's praying? I mean, my prayers are not that bad. <laughs> Even before I read all the books, they weren't that bad. You know, so I, I, I said, uh, I stopped my praying. I said, Joe, are you crying? And these Campus Crusade guys are going, brother, we brought them to a counselor. They can't tell when a guy's crying. You know, I, I got to see what kind of a guy to be praying. Because they didn't know who I was. I was just thought I was just demon caster. So um, anyway, um, Joe said, I don't think so. But something was crying through his body, so I knew I was in trouble. And so I thought, this is just to stop our praying. I don't care what happens, Lord, in my heart. I'm going to keep praying. But I'm going to do what the Bible says. Watch and pray. I mean, because this is the time I need to look. So as I was praying, watching, here is the area director of Campus Crusade, thrown off the chair, falls on the floor, and is writhing like a snake. Only the second time I've ever seen anybody do the snake thing on the floor. And these campus crusade guys, if they didn't believe in warfare, they, they were in Warfare 101, you know. And so they reach down to pull Joe off the floor. And I just keep praying. And they can't get him up. Now, I mean, one of those guys could have picked him up with one hand, you know, and pressed him. They couldn't get this, this, this little guy off the floor. So finally they just sat down. And so they sat down, and I finished my prayer. And I said, in the name of Jesus, leave him alone. Joe, get up and sit down. And Joe sat down, and he looked at us. You'd have to be in the room. All of us, the hairs on the back of our neck standing up, and the tension is, you know, we needed that stress thing upstairs. Uh, <clears throat> we're all under stress. Uh, uh, you know, we're going to have all these terrible problems uh, because we didn't go to his seminar. And we're sitting there under all this tension, and Joe said, do you think I have spirits? I mean, we all laughed. I said, Joe, do you usually fall across the floor like a snake at a prayer meeting? I mean, <laughs> is this normal for you? Well, anyway, Joe had OCD. Uh, horrible. He went to Minerth and Meyer, spent 30 days there with Dr. Minerth or Dr. Meyer, not helped. Then he went through a series of shock treatments, no help. And the only reason he came to me, a total stranger, was he was going to have shock treatments again. His wife says, if you do, I will divorce you. You were a zombie. We didn't know who you were. You didn't know who the kids were. We can't live like that. It didn't help the last time. Why well, have shock? I didn't know what else to do. Because Joe would park his car, he'd go out and look six, seven, eight times. It wasn't in park. He'd file a filing cabinet, go back and look, look, look. It was unbelievable. He's the worst 
case of OCD I've ever heard of or ever saw. He couldn't function because he's checking, checking, checking. Everybody's sick of it. And Joe was set free. And I said, Joe, you've been there. Write a paper of how to help somebody. You know, I watched it. I wasn't there. And Joe did. It took him 10 years. He wanted to be sure he was free. It took him 10 years, and that's what you have in your paper, in your hand, written by someone who was headed for the hospital again for shock treatments for being obsessive-compulsive. And part of anorexia and bulimia is what? Obsessive-compulsive behavior. You need to understand that. There can be demonic aspects to it and many other aspects to it, but there will be OCD with it, too. And so I, I wanted you to have that because that is excellent. And you say, well, it's so simple. Have you ever counseled anybody that's got OCD? It better be simple. They can't do anything complicated. You get something complicated, it's just what they need. A lot of complications. Well, on page 145, I don't want to take up too much time. Um, on page 145 and 146, there is... Um, this is one of my prayer letters. My prayer letters are always different. But this is one of my prayer letters where I have permission to share of a 14-year-old boy who was brought here out of a hospital for his anorexia. Now, you were in the room. Last week, I had six calls for anorexia. Three, in fact, I had five. It was three boys and two girls. And finally, a girl called to even it out. But the parents called for a girl. These are all young teenagers. It is plaguing young people today. It's getting worse and worse and worse of anorexia and bulimia. And so if you read this letter, it's talking about here they came, was the enemy involved? Is this a demonic kind of a thing? And if the enemy's involved, what is it? Now one of the things, and you can, I, I'm sure you're able to read, uh, one of the things that I want to share with you about this young man was he also operated like he had religious spirits. Religious spirits are the absolute worst to deal with because they only have people do things religiously. And so it's very hard to pick up that, that, that something is really wrong here because it's religious spirits. So they're only told to do religious things. If immediately they were told to do something wrong, poor Don is our new counselor. I don't know how many of his counselees that he got in the beginning, all of them had religious spirits. The hardest. So that's been downhill since then. <laughs> he had to learn to deal with people with religious spirits. One of the ways you find these religious spirits people is when you meet them, it, it, they, they, when they greet you, you feel like you just drank a cup of coffee where you put too much sweetener in it. You know, there's something kind of sickening. You know, there's, there, I, got, I can't tell. There, there is a church here in town. I won't tell you which one. And I s spoke to the ministerial association at Christmas time about demons. I don't know what it was. Marian demons or something. You know, demons at the manger. I don't know what it was. But anyway, I had some kind of Christmas message for the pastors on the demonic stuff. Well, there's this, the pastor and his wife. The pastor's wife had a hairdo that was phenomenal. Just phenomenal. Very sensual, but very phenomenal. Uh, his shirt was open and he had quite a hairy chest, you know, that you could see with a big gold chain around his neck. And, and she's, you know, long fingernails and everything. And so when I got through speaking, they've never heard me before. And she grabs a hold of my hand, this lady. 
and I can't get rid of it. She's doing this, and I'm trying to get it out. <laughs> She's so sweet. You know, oh, I was great. I hope I don't get a transfer of demons here. <laughs> oh, this is the most wonderful thing and all this stuff. Oh, brother. <clears throat> but anyway, let me tell you something about religious demons. Since they're the very hardest to deal with, and also it, it connected with this young man, not that he had religious demons, but they were operating in the same way, and kind of fixed him with OCD too. And I cry out to God, I wish I had all the answers. I don't. But I know God does. See, my basis of counseling, there's two things about counseling that I really believe. One is that God's word says he's given us everything for uh, life and godliness. So that, in my mind, everything for life and godliness is found within that book. That's what he said. He designed the soul, so obviously if something goes wrong in the soul... There ought to be something in the book about how to correct what's wrong with the soul. Not there can't be other things, but that's got to be the basis. There's two kinds of counseling. Those who counsel, whose counseling is based on Scripture, and those who counsel from Scripture. And I counsel from Scripture. My counselees have an open Bible. They do not pray about anything until they have read and found out what God says in the Word. And I find that that's probably one of the keys why so many of my counselees not only get free, but stay free. It's because they saw it in God's Word. They had to interact with what Scripture says. And I don't give them a prayer to pray because most of my counselees know how to pray. I'd rather them pray a lousy prayer and own it than pray someone else's prayer that isn't theirs, although I pray other people's prayers. I've got probably 12, 15 books on different prayers by different people are wonderful. So I use them in my own devotional time, but I'm saying they need to own their own prayer. That's where the tears come and everything. It's their own stuff. They cry out to God for their own needs. Okay, now, I'm trying to figure out, how do you help this kid? Okay, let me give you his, where he goes to the religious thing. He came, and he's a brilliant, good-looking guy, and he came to my office sitting there. <clears throat> we were talking, and you'll see it in here. He, had, he was staying at the Best Western here, and he ran, had run four miles that morning, but he really needs to run five. So he has to go home to run the fifth mile, because he has to run five miles. And he had to do so many sit-ups. You know, a number. And so if he's doing them, and he gets, you know, 177, 188, and, oops, then he's got back to one. <laughs> Go again, because he lost his count. Okay. And that's what, you know, the light switch, seven times the light switch. So I asked this kid, why do you have to run five miles? Why can't you run four and three-quarter miles? They brought a girl down to see me. And she wouldn't come unless they would stop along the freeway and let her run a mile or so ever so often. I mean, you have no idea because the exercise gets hooked in with the anorexia bulimic stuff. So they get excessively exercising and it's always got a number. It's always got this kind of a thing. It's not just exercising. It's, you know, you're, you're concerned. There's something not right about it. Well, I prayed and I said, God, you've got to give me something to help these people. And I need it from the word. I know I can go get somebody's books on anorexia and and they say something that may be based on Scripture. Some way or another, you could tie it to a verse. But I want something from the Word on how to help somebody that has to do this kind of thing. And God gave it to me. It was beautiful. First of all, God gave me Psalm 23. Because what is Satan? Revelation 12 says Satan is the deceiver. Remember, a person is deceived when their mind and emotions believe something that's not true. It's not just a lie. It's a lie with feelings. And our culture believes what we feel, and we don't believe what we don't feel. And so when someone's deceived, it's not just taking a thought captive. It has all these emotions in there. So it, it, it's terrible. I mean, it's a thought. Sometimes the emotions are stronger than the thought. 
When you talk about somebody that's inferior, it's not inferior thinking. They feel inferior, and the more they feel inferior, they must be. So you, you, you have this person really deceived. They've got to do this number and so on. And the reason they've got to do it is that if they don't, something bad will happen. And you ask them what bad will happen. They don't know what bad will happen. Just something bad will happen, and they're not sure that this is necessarily wrong. And that's where we've got to show them they're deceived. Okay, what sets a deceived person free? What will set you free? The truth will set you free. So they have to see truth there that this is not normal. Now, so as I was praying, God gave me, first of all, to my mind, he brought Psalm 23. It's something we all know. And let me tell you, when you come to scriptures, you know, as soon as you say, I know that, you'll never get any insights. Well, I know that. And some of the, the, the scriptures that God wants to give you phenomenal insights, you know. And as soon as I know, you know, I know 23, or I know the Lord's Prayer, I know this, I know that, and it's like, God, I dare you. You know, give me something I don't know about on this. So I just say, God, help me not to have I know Psalm 23. But in Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Then when you go to John 10, where Jesus is the good shepherd, it says, Jesus what? Leads. And these people are what? Driven. And when there is a drivenness with a dread, there's enemy activity. And they got to see that. This is not God. This is a spiritual problem. It's not a throwing up problem. It's not a not eating problem. It is a spiritual problem until they come to that. Remember the girl that ran down here? I told you, you know, they had to stop and let her run along. This girl was not helped. You know, I can't give you all these stories. Everybody I see is helped. Because Daryl Anderson's in here and he's been around a long time and so I don't dare do that. <laughs> Darryl, no. Not everybody's helped. But we may have got them going. You know, all I can do is what I can do and leave God. God's the only one. I've never set anybody free. I've never healed anybody. I never saved anybody. All I am is a facilitator with truth. And God has to do it. And maybe it's the beginning. But anyway, this girl went back three years later. They've been in contact with us. She's finally come to the conclusion that her anorexia is spiritual. Now she can be set free. But it took three years that she finally agreed with Mr. Logan. This is a spiritual problem. And God has an answer for what? Every spiritual problem. And so when this boy began to see that this was not just not eating, and, um, and then it was a spiritual thing, then and this drivenness was not of God, then he could begin to resist it. He could resist those thoughts. And this letter went out. I forget the, when it went out. But anyway, this Christmas time, I got a picture of the boy and his family has been two years. He spent one week here after being brought down from a hospital and being hospitalized for I don't know how many weeks. It's probably in the letters. This letter's old. Anyway, this boy is still walking in freedom two years later. Has not, not, not done the eating thing. He exercises and all. <clears throat> now, as you read all of this, there's one thing, as we went through this, I actually gave the steps of action, how to help. But there's one thing that was very, very significant the hardest thing for him to do. See, in a sense, as you go through the very principles of coming to freedom and reclaiming ground, the one issue was rebellion. And rebellion is resisting the God-ordained authorities over my life. See, rebellion is a sin of divination. Rebellion is always against what? What do you rebel against? Authority. 
What does Romans 13, 1 and 2 say? They that resist the God-ordained authority will receive from themselves damnation. What does Ephesians 6 say? Children, you know, obey your parents of the Lord. Honor your father with his first commandment with promise. What's the promise? Most everybody says that you live long. I said, no, that things will go well. And you'll live long. Who wants to live long if things aren't going well? You know, and so if a kid thinks aren't going well in the kid's life, I know he's dishonoring his parents. Why? Because God's word's true. I know there's a problem there. And so he, what he had to do, and this was the hardest thing, and I was loving and kind. I hugged this kid. I, I don't weep with people usually unless it's really, really sad. But I'm compassionate. And I said, when I tell you, you're not going to like this. But it's biblical. You've got to see it. And we looked in Scripture. Did God say this? Who has the final authority here? What I think or what God said? My counsel is, you have to come back to what God said, not what I think. Because I can have stinking thinking. That's what, uh, what's his name said? Who, who says that? Zig Ziglar. Your problem is stinking thinking. And he's absolutely right. <laughs> so we've got to get their thinking right. And I said, you know what you need to do? You need to put your eating under your dad's authority. And if you don't think that wasn't hard for him, because he wanted to what? Decide himself what he would eat and not eat. Oh, they read labels. Oh, let me tell you. They read labels. They know more about uh, nutrition than you can shake a stick at. You know, to eat a potato chip, he probably asked God's forgiveness, you know, because of all the stuff that's in it. Um, and so they went out to dinner. And this is as we're working. About the third day, he went out to dinner with his dad. And they went over here to uh, Perkins. And... Um, I forget what they ordered. And they ordered a regular size. And the dad said, now I want you to eat all of this. And that kid prayed and asked God to help him to eat it. And he ate it all. And he said, well, what about if I didn't? And the dad knew he had to eat all of it. Not just a little bit, not. He ate all of it. And the rest of the week while I was here, he put his eating under his dad. His dad didn't make him eat too much. I mean, you know, he wasn't trying to, you will eat. And he had a wonderful dad. And the, eventually, uh, this kid is eating normally. He's still exercising. He's very sportsy. And I said, nothing wrong with that. It's the extreme. When they get an extreme. Um, I want to quit in just a couple of minutes. And you could read this, but you see the OCD here, number four, running so many miles and so on. But if you look at this, you'll see that we have sent this out. To, I can't tell you how many families, and they call back and said, when we went over this with our kids and we understood these principles related to bulimia and anorexia, things have changed. Our kids have changed. The problem has changed as they walk them through this as parents. And so we've seen this work, this work in the lives of all kinds of anorexic and bulimic people. Reading it does not help them. They need someone to help them process these truths. And they're all the truths you know. You know, uh, why he had to do this. Okay. Now, if you go back, you look at this. What started the stronghold in this boy's life? It's down in number five. The stronghold or the foundation Remember, a stronghold is usually the result, a stronghold is usually the result of a traumatic situation in my life when I was younger. The, the traumatic situation, the abusive situation is not as significant today as the lies I believe because uh, of what happened. And a stronghold always has as a foundation of a stronghold is a false belief system. It's not an intruding thought, it's a belief system until that's attacked that structure won't come down. And what formed the structure is he has an uncle that is overweight 
and I think it's in here, and a relative rooted him and said, I hope you don't get fat like your uncle. And he did not want to get fat like his uncle, and all of a sudden he began to focus on what? Eating and food and weight and exercise, and he was going down that road. And that was a false belief system uh, that he believed. There's no way. Um, do you have any questions? I'd like to turn the rest of the time over to Don. He's got some very important things, but you have any comment? Do you have anything? Have you worked with an anorexic person or bulimic person that was helpful? Uh, someone came up to me that was bulimic just before the meeting, and uh, um, their partner did not know they were bulimic for an, I don't know how long, bulimic for a number of years, and just by uh, not praying or anything, just decided that when they were pregnant, that bulimia wouldn't be good, and stopped, and has never done it since. Uh, when we were at the University of in, in um, University of Indiana in wherever it is, someplace in Indiana with a B. Uh, we stayed in the dorm. You know, the dorms there are now co-educational. And we happened to be on the girls' floor, and when you went into the bathroom to use the bathroom, over every toilet was the sign, don't purge yourself because your stomach acids are corroding the pipes. That was over every toilet. And that was years ago. I wish I could, you know, had a camera to take a picture. Um, so this thing is not going to go away. But if you have some answers and can put something on someone's hand, it could be a real blessing. Is there any? Yes, sir, way in the back. Okay, how do you... Uh, counsel the parents of an adult child, it's not a young child, but an adult child that does not want to deal with their anorexia. Is that what you asked on the thing? I saw a peripheral thing. I don't know if it was a demon or whether it was a girl. <laughs> I just saw movement over here on the left-hand side. <laughs> anyway, um, I really believe A lot of things are going through my mind, and I can't talk and think at the same time. Um, what if you had an adult child that was lost and you wanted him saved? It's not a different issue. See, they're anorexic, but they don't want to not be. And I think probably one of the greatest helps that can help you uh, Neil Foster is a, a, a friend of mine, and Neil is the um, um, over the uh, Christian Mission Alliance Press uh, uh, publishing house, and he wrote a book, Binding and Loosing, which is probably the most phenomenal book on binding and loosing out there today. We had a family who had an adult son in Bill Gothard's program in the log cabin program. He was in a log cabin. They take one really bad teenager, stick him in a log cabin, with two good teenagers hoping that they can minister to this kid and change his life. Except the guy running the program kept calling the family and said, your son's getting worse, he's getting worse, he's getting worse, he's getting worse. This was in, I think, my last prayer letter. I'm binding and loosing. They didn't know what to do. And they called me, we don't know what to do. It's not even the same state we're in. And our son is 18 or 19, and he is just, he's going to destroy his life. I mean, he's there. He's got to be serious to get in there. This is serious. And I said, the only thing I can tell you to do is to get Neil's 
book, Neil Foster's book, Unbinding and Loosing. They got that book, they read it, they believed it. That night they prayed to bind the forces of darkness that were driving their son to destruction. The very next day, the director of that ministry called them and said, what did you guys do yesterday? Your son is changed. And I would just find the forces of darkness. I see bulimia and anorexia at the root of it, a demonic problem. Why? Satan wants to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Anorexia and bulimia will not only kill your spirit, it can kill your body. And so in a believer's life, there's got to be enemy involvement there. And I don't think you can help as long as if the enemy is feeding a bunch of lies in the mind of that person, that God would bring that person to the end of themselves. And it may be hospitalization before they realize, I'm out of control, this is going to take my life, and if I don't get help, I'm going to die. And right now we have a boy in the hospital because he's lost 40 pounds, he's either 13 or 14. He's been on tubes to feed him, but now they're cutting him open, putting a, you know, a tube in his stomach the stuffy, and the folks are going to, and this is a, a homeschool Christian family, will have to hold this Christian boy down to feed him because he says there's nothing wrong with him. And he's so weak, he can't even go outside and do anything. He is literally killing himself. And he's being horribly deceived. One more, one more, what's our, yeah, sir. Yeah, I'll, I'll, sometimes it's hidden so well. And see, I was anorexic, and when I was uh, when I hit puberty, instead of growing, I was growing tall, but I grew out. And when you're in puberty, 12, 13, 14, the last thing you want to do is grow out. You want to grow up, but not out. So I grew out, and my cousin, for some reason, had to have, and I was an unbeliever, heart to heart talk with me, telling me that probably it wouldn't be good if I kept getting really fat. Now, if you're 13, what the one thing you want to hear about as a teenage boy from your attractive cousin is that you are getting fat. And so I just went anorexic, and I grew up to about six foot one and a half, and I weighed 145 pounds. I hit it by wearing my shirts on the outside and all of that, because the last thing I want to do is to be fat. And so it's amazing. We have another thing that we do. We can't do it now. How to break the curse of words. That's very important. Because curses of words can change the direction of your life like a tiller on a boat. It can guide your life like a bit in a horse's mouth. And many people are suffering under the curse of words. And that has to be broken. They don't mean to do it, but they say those things, and it, you grab a hold of it, and it begins to run your life. Okay. Um, a book on that? 
No, but we got a paper and it's forty dollars for two sheets. No, <laughs> I got to tell you this. Let Don come. Uh, our counseling is free at the office, you know, and so. But I always tell my counselor, the counseling is free, but it's twenty dollars. Use the toilet and uh, <laughs> drink lots of coffee. And uh, <laughs> so one of the guys was there and he left. He wrote me a letter. He sent me three hundred dollars. So many times trips to the toilet. He said I knew there was some catch in that free counseling. So I just wrote him back, and I said, I want to thank you for the $300 for using the toilet, but you forgot to include the tax. 